It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts. Radio. News. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. Sports is business. And whenever you are procuring talent, you must start with a criteria. Being owners of this league and wanting our league to be the best in the world, how do we make it better? The valuations are getting so high, the list of people who could purchase a team is getting really short. We have eight strategic investment areas when you look at the world of sports. NBA is already in 210 countries around the world. NFL is an amazing thing for the sports betting industry. We have the World Cup coming in 2026. North America. Hey, if I get a million dollars for going to a school, trust me, I'll be there. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damien Sassauer. On the lineup today, it is golf season, baby! The air is warming up, the sun is setting later, and the grass is getting greener on this side. And we're going to talk with Dan Murphy, the president and CEO of Bridgestone Golf, on his company's partnership with Tiger Woods and the role Tiger has in his company's development of golf balls and clubs. Plus, Bloomberg Originals Chief Correspondent Jason Kelly stops by to talk about his new Bloomberg Originals TV program and podcast with none other than... A-Rod, the baseball legend. It's a program that showcases conversations with sports champions and business titans like Maria Sharapova and one Derek Jeter as they reveal some of their investment philosophies. That is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, preparing for retirement is not easy. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) And for professional athletes, it's all about becoming a champion with hopes that the millions they made along the way is enough to help pay the bills. But nowadays, athletes are looking to cash in and maintain their brand supremacy even after retirement. Lucky for them, There have never been more ways for athletes to earn billions. Joining us now to discuss how some of the most known athletes today are working toward that coveted billion dollars goal. You know the man, old friend of the show, Bloomberg News, Kim Basine. Kim, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports again. Up, how are we doing today? Oh man, I'm now I'm thinking about retirement all over again and realize (laughs) you know it won't be until I'm a hundred. But but you know what? You don't have to be, and you wrote this. You don't have to be the goat to hit the billionaire status as an athlete. Can you expand more? Yeah, I think when you when you think about like the richest athletes in the world, you're you're the names that come up are like Tiger Woods, LeBron. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, like among the best to ever do it in their sports every single time, right? Uh, but now for you don't have to be the best in your sport to make a whole 
ton of money, and that's because there's more routes, there's more opportunities, there's more ways uh, to, to get into business and make a bunch of money for yourself. So you're saying I got a chance? Yeah, you still got. Let's let's do this. It's never too late. All right, so give us an example of someone who is not the goat in his or her sport, and yet through savvy investments, through um, timely networking, and through well negotiated deals, has done a pretty good job for himself. Yeah, and, I, and it's him a lot of the times. Yeah, it is it is him a lot of the times. I, I just want to give you um, an example of someone who is still young and it's not even requiring him to step off the court and make a ton of money with businesses. In the NBA, you can do this just by signing max contracts, right? Jalen Brown is not the best player on his own team, and he's going to be making uh, nearly three hundred million dollars over the next uh, several years, right? If you if you parse this out for the the, the rookies, like the, the youngest players in the league who are entering right now, uh, yes, it looks like Victor Wembanyama is going to be absolutely incredible. Paolo Banquero just made his first. Uh, all-star team. Uh, Brandon Miller on the the Hornets is starting to to heat up over there. These are the kinds of kids who just have to keep signing max deals. And if they keep signing max deals, if they pan out over the course of their career, maybe you know once in a while make an All NBA third team, uh, be a, an All Star a couple times, and they just keep signing max deals, they will be billionaires in their thirties. Kim, run me through the numbers a little bit because I I, I read that deck uh, about Victor Webanyama, the seven foot four Spurs sensation, who is you know if he keeps signing max contracts, will earn you know I think a billion dollars or something by the time I'm well over that. But you know if you compare that to Michael Jordan or you know Tiger Woods or some of these people who have these huge marketing deals and who made money. I mean, in Michael Jordan's case, you know he was an owner of the Charlotte Hornets. You know. Is it possible for somebody like a Webanyama to overtake career earnings from someone like Michael Jordan, or must he do something himself off the court in order to get there? Uh, Michael, I think, is the the specialist of special cases, right? His uh, the, the the Jordan brand is just so huge, and he signed what the you know the first royalty deal in signature shoe history. Once upon a time, how long ago was that? Forty years ago? Oh man! So he he's a special case here, but uh, team ownership is certainly like a, a path to wealth now and you're seeing these players uh, put money into and become minority owners in the other leagues that they're not currently playing in in their, in their hometown. So like Miles Garrett on the Cleveland Browns uh, has a stake in the Cavaliers basketball. And we got the uh, Giannis on the Bucks. Uh, he owns a part of the Brewers. And then uh, Marshawn Lynch is in the uh, Seattle Kraken, the hockey team. Like th- these these opportunities are, they exist for these players. And again, they don't have to be the, the, the very best in the game to do it. You don't have to be, and you wrote about this and I saw it, I'm like, oh man, you don't have to be in college. You don't have to be in high school. You don't have to be in middle school, there was a nine-year-old who <laughs> signed in Snoop Dogg's Youth Football League and signed for six figures. Six what, figures. What, what, six. What? He's nine. Oh, yeah. I, I am depressed. Not, listen, 
kid, I'm happy for you. Yeah, I can say kid because I'm old as dirt. Kid, I'm happy he's for nine. you. He's nine. He is nine. a kid. <laughs> but this this is, it's amazing to me, Kim. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the NCAA rule really opens up a lot of a, a lot of things for, for kids now, right? You're not going to risk any kind of eligibility going forward. Um, it's like, <laughs> it is fascinating. Right? I think when we saw at the very beginning, it was the uh, college kids actually signing these deals, student athletes uh, who have who garnered some sort of social following and so on at, at the very, very start of uh, the, the rule change that the NCAA had. But it was kind of natural that they would go younger. You saw high school kids getting signed, and now it's it's <laughs> we're getting further down there. Nine years old. I, you know, it's okay. At age time, here I go again. I remember when you were nine years old. The only way you could really make some money was to go on the game show, the kids' version of the Hollywood Squares. They didn't even pay you in regular money because they had the rule where you got savings bonds, which was half of what. It, okay. Dang, man! He's outraged. <laughs> he is properly outraged. <laughs> Let, let's let's go from a, a nine-year-old tackle football player in Snoop's Youth Football League to Steph Curry, uh, the goat for the Golden State Warriors, and you know, three-point shot man extraordinaire. You wrote a story about him and how he has done well in terms of his sneaker sponsorship. Under Armour, he put them on the map when it comes to sneakers, but not so much in terms of really winning over big sneaker fans, the sneaker heads out there. What's the difference here, and why is it important to him? Yeah, I mean, Stefan told me, I, I met up with him at uh, All-Star Weekend in Indianapolis. As you do, Kim. And, <laughs> and, and uh, he said he's, he's planning to retire in four or five years. So mm-hmm. the, 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 the clock is, is running low here. It, it, it seems like he wants to leave the game while still playing at a high level. I'm, I don't think we're going to see Steph Curry standing in the corner at 43 mm-hmm. just knocking down a couple threes a game. Mm-hmm. I think he wants to be a superstar uh, until the day he he mm-hmm. steps away. So if he's going to leave fairly soon, that would that would put him at uh, about forty, which mm-hmm. is when Michael Jordan retired. Uh, LeBron seems like he's going to go back <laughs> if he keeps playing like this. He's thirty nine. I think he's going to keep going. Uh, but th- there's limited time left for 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 Stephen Curry to to have that kind of influence on the court, being on TV eighty two times a year, and then playing in the playoffs and all the hype around that and the All Star game and everything. So whatever he's doing after after his basketball career, it won't be quite the same. Mm-hmm. So what he wants to do is really develop off-the-court shoes, shoes that are in sneaker culture, shoes that that, that people are, are you know lining up around the, the the block for, like you see with with some other with some other brands. Jordans. With Jordans, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he, he said explicitly the Jordan brand is the pinnacle of what an athlete can do with their platform. Mm. And he wants to make his own version of that and wants that to be part of his legacy. He also said, like, what's my legacy going to be? And I'm like, Steph, man. He's wondering about that? Yeah, I, you're the best shooter ever. Like, there's no you know, four, four championships, two MVPs. Wait, he really doesn't see that? I think, I, I mean, he shouldn't be worried. <laughs> he shouldn't be worried about this, man. Can I ask you a quick question? I mean, I'm looking at Under Armour shares here at nine dollars, uh, down, you know, roughly a third of what they were in late 2021. You know, just how accretive could Steph Curry be to to the share price to Under Armour, and for that matter, in the environment we're coming out of? I mean, look at what just happened 
with Adidas, with Nike. I mean, you know, what are the chances for success and 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 how's that, you know, going to kind of translate through into the share price? Under Armour is going through a major transformation right now. So they brought in a new CEO last year, Stephanie Linnitz from Marriott International, and she has has started on this 3-year turnaround plan for Under Armour. And the, the whole athletic wear industry over the past year has had trouble, right? So when when the pandemic hit, it was like stores closed, it was just disaster in in 2020. 2021, we don't have enough inventory because it was hard to run our supply chains Mm -hmm. at the time. 2022 and 23, they had too much inventory because they ordered too much stuff. And now we're finally getting to the the end of that. So we're seeing a a reset with, with brands like with brands like Under Armour. So this brand, Under Armour, she is prioritizing uh, a couple things here. So more women's wear, more footwear, and then more what they call, they're calling sports style, which just means, you know, casual clothes that one would wear not in the gym. Athleisure. So so those are the, the three things. And Curry brand is what gave them permission to enter footwear to begin with back in 2013, right? That really solidified their, their place. It gave them permission to play in basketball, which is which is the most important thing. Basketball and running are just so so crucial. Curry is their star. He's for sure their their top star, and they're gonna try to build this around him. You mentioned about Nike. By the way, I wonder if Nike screwed up because they had Curry in a That's right when it when this started, and then something happened, and then like you said, Kim. 2013. Then he signs with Under Armour. There's a there's a fascinating story that uh, ESPN got into a, a few years ago. That the, the the saga of Stephen Curry leaving Nike for Under Armour. Where this is this is the Dur- sequel by the way. Durant's to name. Yeah, they put Durant's name on the presentation, right? They put Durant's name on the presentation. Oh. The, this this needs to be made into a movie, kind of like how Matt Damon and or I should say Ben Affleck made uh, Air. Like and they kept two. calling him like Steven. Like, no. Oh, God. oh yeah. yeah no, I remember that. That's man. not good. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Old friend of the show, Kim Basine, thank you, my man. Uh, we really do appreciate it, man. You always drop some knowledge on us, man. Thank Love you. it here. Thank you. Appreciate y'all. Up next on the show, we speak with our friend Jason Kelly on his newest Bloomberg Originals program that he co hosts with former baseball player and New York Yankees icon. Alex Rodriguez. You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. 
This is Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr, alongside Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. When sports, business, and culture collide, there's often a deal to be made. Alex Rodriguez and Bloomberg correspondent Jason Kelly get the inside track from corporate titans, sports champions, and game-changing entrepreneurs on investing, strategy, reinvention, and the ones that got away. The deal with Alex Rodriguez and Jason Kelly is a Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Original Series that's passionate relaxed, insightful, and inspirational. If you think you know these icons, prepare to be surprised. Here is a tease of the show airing now featuring tennis icon Maria Sharapova. There's going to be viewers that have watched this, that are founders, that have a business, that their dream would be for Maria to invest in their business. Can you tell us a little bit about how you think about businesses, which sectors, kind of broadly check sizes. How do you think about being yeah. a value-add investor? One of my first investments, actually the first investment was into a sunscreen brand called Supergoop. I was a user myself, founded a Sephora market. I think that was their only distribution at the time. This was 12 years ago. I knocked on the on the door of the founder and I said, I love your product. It's the only one I can wear while I play. It doesn't run in my eyes. It doesn't burn my eyes or sting them. Can I please help you out? I don't know what stage you're at. I don't know how young or old you are, but I love what you're doing. Um, and from what I've read, I love your mission. That was it. And two years ago, they sold 75% of their stake for close to a billion dollars. It was the first time where I didn't take that paycheck at the beginning. And I said, let me invest. Let me give you my time, my platform, my voice, and help share this message about preventing skin cancer. And that was a successful example. And there's been, you know, several others not so. But the point is, is that it came from loving the product. It came from the mission that the founder had that I resonated with and the fact that I could help it. Like I was realistic that I had the right platform and that I had the right usership in order to help them grow. So I think all that was, it was a good foundation in, in my investment story. And not to say that there's something that I may not be familiar with or that I'm taking a chance on. I, sh I still should take the call. I still should spend time with the founders. But ultimately, I want to have a good feel of what this is, right? I, I want to spend time. I want to have dinner with these people, mm -hmm. right? Like, so I, I want to believe in people that know, that know how to lose and how that will come up and find ways to win. So joining us now to give us some more insight is co-host of the show and friend of ours, Jason Kelly. Jason, your new show is called The Deal. Tell us about it, man. It's all happening. Uh, yeah, it's been in the works uh, for a while. This is a show that Alex and I conceived a uh, little more than a year ago. And, you know, the concept was sort of straightforward. The, one of the stories that I've told that I think you guys will appreciate uh, is... We had gotten to know each other over the course of me working on a documentary about him for a series we did called Athlete Empire and Bloomberg Originals. And we were having lunch and talking about wanting to do something together. And we started talking about this idea of the podcast. And we kind of wandered around in conversationally. And we were talking about NBA ownership, which obviously he's a part of now. We were talking about valuations, talking about various things. And at one point, as we started talking about the podcast again, he said, what would it be? And I basically said, well, this, this is the show. Like, this is the show. Like Seinfeld, this is the show. Um, <laughs> and the concept is there. there is this collision, as you guys are living every week, of call it business, sports, culture, technology, politics, all of it. 
And there are some fascinating people doing deals at, at the core of it. And so that's what we set out to do. And, and we went and found some, I think, super interesting people to talk to. And you talked to Maria Sharapova, among others. Um, how many of the folks that you talked to are people that Alex Rodriguez has done deals with? Because he's out there. He is out there. And it's a great point. I mean, he's out there quite a bit. And and it's funny. You talk about Maria, one of the, the funniest moments of the episode. Um, she actually gives him a little bit of a hard time about like not calling her for deals. Um, and because they have looked at stuff together. I mean, as, as you guys well know, because a lot of these folks have been on, on this show, the circle, as it were, of really top tier athletes who are super serious mm-hmm. about making investments is actually a relatively small club and they they certainly bounce bounce off of each other and, and and run into each other. So there are a few people that that Alex has done work with. I mean, he worked very closely with uh, Derek Jeter, who is uh, who's a guest on uh, on the show upcoming. They were they were colleagues, uh, and you know we joked in 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 that episode. I mean, I, I sort of half joked that you know one of the most important deals you could argue that happened in New York Yankees history was. The deal for Alex to move to third base mm-hmm. so that he could play next to Jeter, uh, and they won a World Series, and and obviously a complicated relationship, and and we dig into that a lot in the show. I can't wait. Well, for that Jason, one. I mean, you went right there, so I'm going to have to I'm going to have to you know trump that. I mean, think about the uh, contract that Derek Jeter signed with the New York Yankees and the business side of that, and what Alex Rodriguez's negotiations did to pad that for him. I wonder if you guys got into that, but story for another day. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, some of the other guests you hope to have on the show going forward. I mean, you know, Alex runs in these, you know, crazy circles that expand beyond sports into media, into finance. You know, where do you find Alex to be most comfortable? You know, it's a really interesting question, Damien. You know, I found him to be comfortable really across the board. You know, this is a guy who really started thinking about business off the field almost from the moment he became a professional athlete, which he did coming out of high school, as you guys know. Uh, you know, drafted by number one by the Mariners. And, you know, he bought his first multifamily uh, real estate property in Miami, essentially with his first check. And, and it sort of built from there. And he is he's a total sponge and and really a student. And he, he talks about, you know, being a young athlete and being on the road and, you know, going in to see Jerry Reinsdorf and going in, uh, obviously, to see, you know, George Steinbrenner once he he came to the Yankees, like literally like, you know, padding into the office in his cleats and just sitting and listening to these guys. And so his his Rolodex is unbelievable. There's a there's a very funny moment uh, also in the Maria Sharapova episode where she notes these shoes that he's wearing and he like can't help him. <laughs> he can't help but flex a little bit because they were a gift from Bob Craft. Um, they are like signature custom post-Super Bowl Nikes uh, that he was wearing. And of course, Maria teased him about that. So what, right, was, Scarlett, what were you most surprised by in your frequent conversations with A-Rod? And I'm sorry, do you, you don't call him A-Rod, do you? I, I wouldn't be able to stop myself. Uh, no, we, I call him Alex. <laughs> um, I mean, but the, there is this interesting thing, even on that point, Scar, which is almost think of him in these two 
halves or you know two parts of his career you know a rod the player and alex the investor mm. in in mm-hmm. many alex the businessman alex alex the the ceo um you know i mean in terms of surprises i i think there are a couple you know one is sort of this this unbelievable curiosity and and really real desire to understand what drives other people and and his willingness to kind of compare notes mm-hmm. and to that point so the second surprise is a real vulnerability and in, in like showing things that he doesn't know or sharing experiences that that he's had you know we do in in the context of the Derek Jeter episode you know talk about their relationship and and I, I won't spoil it but you know they both say some really interesting things and Alex says I, th- I thought some really interesting things about how he saw it all develop you know these are guys these are two guys who met when they were teenagers it they got the, real it got real I mean and they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated they tell a great story about being teenagers in LA and like sitting in a cab and talking about like what they would what they would do to basically play baseball the rest of their lives it's pretty cool you didn't have no more call in we didn't no 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 ma no no ma Jason, I have to ask this, you know, I mean, everyone, myself included, I'm 50 years old, um, you know, we remember, you know, all the drama surrounding A-Rod, mm-hmm. all the, you know, the media hype surrounding his persona, his brand at that point in time. And what a lot of us don't know are all the work that this man has done with uh, the, the Boys and Girls Club of America, the University of Miami, where my son's a freshman. I mean, all of the I mean, I remember him speaking at my son's sleepaway camp some 10 years ago, you know, an inspirational kind of event during visiting day. Right. You know, Alex has given back his entire career. And I'm just I'm just curious, you know, how that kind of comes through in the podcast. I mean, you know, he has two daughters. He's a family man. I mean, talk to us a little bit about, you know, the soft side of Alex. Yeah, that's it, interesting. It, you know, I mean, this is a guy who will be the first to say, and he says it a lot in, in the podcast, has done a lot of work on himself. You know, he went through a record suspension uh, in, in Major League Baseball. He talks about that. Um, you know, he, he talks about the, the lessons learned. You know, I think you know one of the interesting things too about him which is is both a personal and a business observation is he is incredibly rare as well in this transition from player to team owner you know he's the owner he's a co-owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves and, and Minnesota Lynx and the WNBA and i think that perspective really opens him up as a human, candidly, because he's dealing with these young players in a way that almost no one else, no other owner can. You know, mm-hmm. if you're, and and this is no disrespect, disrespect to any of them, but if you're Jerry Jones or you're Josh Harris or you're Steve Ballmer, it's like, you didn't play. Like, it, it, you, you don't know what that feels like to be in an arena or to be in a stadium and, and to know that pressure. And so to have someone who can... You know, ultimately, be your boss and say like, I know what it's like. Like, I know what it's like when you have a bad game. I know what it's like when people boo you. I know what it's like when people cheer for you. I know what it's like to be written about and all these different things. I think it just adds it an almost like emotional and and human complexity uh, and possibility and opportunity for for Alex that is is an interesting one to me at least. A multi-dimensional Alex Rodriguez bringing out uh, the different sides of the famous athletes that he works with, that he's uh, associated with, and that he sees as colleagues in many ways. And Jason, where can people watch the program? 
It's available as a podcast and uh, as a video. So on Bloomberg Television, on YouTube, on Bloomberg.com, uh, and then on the podcast side, wherever you get your podcasts. And after that, it'll be a weekly series. Weekly series, 12 episodes. Um, so stay tuned. And you know, coming up, as you guys mentioned, we'll have Michael Strahan. We have Derek Jeter. We have Constance Schwartz-Marini, um, who is actually Michael Strahan's business partner and also chief advisor to Coach Prime and has worked with Snoop Dogg and Aaron Andrews. She tells a great Taylor Swift this. story. Um, Jason talks as if he knows these guys personally, Scarlett. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Larry Fitzgerald, we spent some time with him. He was in, he, incredible. Hannah Storm. Uh, so a lot of, lot of really fun conversations. I'm excited for you guys to hear them. Up next on the show, we speak with Bridgestone Golf President and CEO Dan Murphy. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Michael Barr, joined, as always, with Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. You probably heard the name Tiger Woods. But did you know Tiger Woods has had a long relationship with Bridgestone Golf for many years? Over 20, to be exact. Helping the company with prototyping and testing the company's golf balls, clubs, and accessories. So joining us to talk about that partnership and the growth of the Sport International League is the president and CEO of Bridgestone Golf, Dan Murphy. Dan, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be with you. So now I'm I'm getting excited. Even though I am, I tried golf once, and I'm not very good. I'm not very good at anything. But golf is exciting, and people will play it playing right now. The weather is starting to break. The groundhog said, "You know what? Go out there and hit the golf course." Where do you see the the industry heading for 2024? It's a very interesting industry. I've been in it for 25 years, and I've seen the ups and downs. And ever since the pandemic, we had a shutdown of our industry. And then in May of 2020, we saw a boom in golf. Uh, It was the safe play. People could get out and, and get some recreation, some fresh air, and out of the house. And golf has been booming ever since. That's one of the things that has really stuck around after the pandemic, this idea that uh, golf has seen this renaissance and it's it's picked up uh, interest, especially among the younger set. So I'm curious from where you sit, who you see as the next ambassador for the sport. Tiger Woods, uh, certainly impactful, but not in the same way that uh, he was before, even as he continues to increase his marketing 
possibilities uh, with his new deal, his new apparel line with TaylorMade. Who's the future of golf from where you sit? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I, we still think it's Tiger. Tiger is uh, our guy. He plays a Bridgestone golf ball. He's played a Bridgestone golf ball for many, many years. You know, he really moves the needle for us, and he's still the guy. In, in 2024, he's really uh, got a, a much more extensive playing schedule. He's talking about playing once a month, so... I think next up could be the players and then Masters after that and, and PGA Championship after that, and then we'll see where he goes. But we think uh, Tiger's still the guy. He's the one that moves the ratings uh, meter, and he's the one that definitely helps us sell golf balls. Who's the next Tiger, though? Uh, I don't know that there's ever going to be another exact uh, Tiger Woods. Uh, there, I think there's a group of guys out there that are that are pretty good, Jordan Spieth, uh, Justin Thomas, uh, Victor Hovland. I think that's the exciting thing about our sport is you just never know where that next superstar is going to come from and or how that, that next one will blossom. So uh, hard to say specifically, and I, I don't know that since Jack Nicklaus that we've had anybody of the stature of Tiger Woods, and I don't know that we'll, we'll, we'll see that again in our generation, but but there'll be some good young players that will move the needle and, and draw some ratings. Dan, that is the right answer. There will never be another Tiger. I mean, what a great answer. But, I, I mean, in full disclosure, I wonder if you could tell our audience a little bit about why I should be using Tiger's Tour BX uh, Bridgestone golf balls as opposed to the Pro V1X. I mean, talk to me about that. Our audience doesn't know the technology, the sophistication. The, what goes into the production of the perfect golf ball? See, Dan, you can tell who is the great golfer here among the panel. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Uh, we certainly we love Tiger playing our ball, and he plays uh, a model called the Tour BX, and it's, it's designed for his game. One of the things that makes us different, they talk about one model being the right model for everybody, that uh, one size fits all. We've gone in a very different strategy, a very different uh, offering to consumers where we talk about fitting and fitting the right golf ball to the right uh, right golfer. You know, we don't all wear size X, extra large shirts or size 12 <laughs> shoes, and uh, we don't all play extra stiff shafts like the pros do on, on tour. So why are we all playing the same golf ball? So Bridgestone popularized and really made it a brand position to talk about fitting. And so we, we take the characteristics of each individual golfer, incorporate that into the choice, and then recommend one of several different golf balls, not just a one-size-fits-all. I want to mention something about Tiger Woods. 50 years from now, is Tiger Woods going to be like the Chuck Taylor of sneakers? Absolutely. The Michael Jordan, uh, maybe. Uh, uh, I think he will be. I think his accomplishments are so far above and beyond what everybody else has been able to do. And, you know, the only person that I think is measurable to him is uh, is Jack Nichols himself. But, uh, yeah, I think we'll be talking about Tiger Woods for a long, long time and and using him as a standard of measure of what of what the superstar looks like. Tiger Woods is one storyline when it comes to the world of golf. The other storyline, of course, is this possible Live Golf PGA merger, which I don't think we have any clarity on uh, right now, even as the PGA Tour reached a deal with um, a group of billionaire sports team owners to get up to $3 billion in into a new for-profit entity, PGA Tour Enterprises. I mean, it's kind of just a big bundle of headlines that, at least for us, uh, doesn't really clarify what's next. Clearly, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of drama here. Is this drama between Live Golf and PGA good for your business, bad for your business? Uh, I think a unified tour would be better for our business. Uh, I think it's a little distracting to have a separation of the best players in the world, some playing on one tour and some on another. So, yeah, I think it would be better for our business if, if they got back together. 
in some form or fashion. Um, we've been watching it very, very closely, and we've had players go in each direction. Uh, so, yeah, we, we don't know what's going to happen next, but we're anxious for it to be resolved and for for a unified golf tour featuring the best players in the world we think would be better for everybody. Dan, is March 6th circled on your calendar? I mean, because we all know that March 6th, is when Full Swing Season 2 releases, right? And they caught a lot of last year's drama. And I'm just curious, you know, your thoughts on on Netflix, on Full Swing on Full Swing 2. I mean, is this also good for the game of golf? Oh, absolutely. I think it. Uh, there's a couple of things really working in golf's favor, and, and certainly the Netflix Full Swing is, is really a good one. Um, you know, as it happened with Formula One, it really broadened the audience base and, and got a lot more diversity and, and a lot more eyeballs on the on the sport. So I think I think that's gonna gonna help a lot as well. I think also this whole activity of, of off course golf is, is really helping. Off course golf meaning top golf or simulator golf. That that has become very, very popular in the last five or ten years and uh, I think that's acted as a feeder system to to really keep golf going in a big way and, and, and nourish our our participation numbers in a, in a very positive way. I want to talk more about that, about the, the simulated golf in all the, the facilities that have something like that, because the technology in golf today is totally different than what it was even 20, 30 years ago. Uh, you know, all, all I knew about golf back then was, well, it's a little white ball and it's round and that's it. Now you, you have everything to break down your swing. And I'm not talking about just a video. I'm talking about all of the AI involved with trying to get your game better. Where do you see the future of AI taking golf? We're using it in, in ball fitting. We I talked a little bit about ball fitting and we have a an AI application that we think is is pretty cool, where a golfer can come in and interact in, with our AI program and input what what's important to them relative to the performance of golf ball, some of their characteristics of how they swing, and AI will give them back a uh, a recommendation. So what we're doing is we're using AI to help educate consumers about ball fitting and getting the right ball for their game. So you know I think it I think it can be a help. I think we're all trying to figure out AI. Not only in the golf space, but but across our our overall economy. See, that's why I'm afraid yeah. of AI. I'm sure it's going to come back. You know, give me my input. It's like you suck, Bar, because you can't swing <laughs> diddly squat. Dan, you know, going back to things. I mean, talk to us about you know international expansion. Talk to about what live means. You know, I mean, you, you see you see tournaments now in places like Singapore and Asia. You know, talk to us a little bit about the international expansion. What that means for you. What that means for Bridgestone. Yeah, for Bridgestone, we're uh, you know we're excited about international. We're Tokyo-based. We're riding a wave of golf participation increases all across the all across the globe, particularly in Asia. Korea has been a great great market for us. Uh, Japan, we're number one in Japan in terms of market share, uh, and then Europe has been very good for us as well. So, um, you know, we we see golf growing in popularity. Live or not live, I don't know if, if we credit live with bringing golf to new locations. Uh, I, I don't know that yet, but I know that golf is, is surging in popularity. And, and you know, the U.S. market is, is by far the biggest market. It's about 50% of the global market. And, and it really sets the stage and sets the tone for the rest of the world. And so as the U.S. is taken off, the rest of the markets are, are taken off as well. So we're excited about that. And when it comes to that growth, I want to go back to something you said, which was the off-course golf, uh, the idea of um, just going to the driving range or simulated golf. 
Can you give us a breakdown of what the growth looks like in off-course golf versus uh, traditional golf, on-course golf, and, and how much of your market is in off-course golf? Well, we're totally on course. So think about the market in terms of off-course off participation and on-course participation. And I, I just happen to have some new numbers from NGF. That's Ooh, one of the share. industry groups. And uh, they, they talk about there being 33 million U.S. golfers that play off-course. That means top golf or simulator golf. So 33 million. They talk about 27 million people playing on-course golf. And there's some overlap between those two groups. Mm-hmm. But the actual number of people playing off-course golf is greater now and growing more rapidly. And, and before the pandemic, let's see, I've got a cool stat here. The off-course business is up 41% versus 2019 before the pandemic. So a lot of big change in behavior. And, you know, us traditional, we make golf balls. Bridgestone Golf makes golf balls. And so we're mostly interested in people getting out onto a green grass golf course and playing and and hitting those balls in the woods so we can replace them, right? So, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> me. <laughs> so it, it's interesting because at first, uh, when when the off-course business started to really take off, some of us traditionalists were worried about it. We said, oh, my gosh, there's only so many golf dollars going around from a consumer perspective. Are these guys going to take golf time and money away from us? And the answer has clearly been no. It's become a feeder system, almost mm-hmm. a – uh, uh, an entry entry point for for golfers to you know you, if you go to Top Golf, one of the restaurants or so, you can have a beer and hit some golf balls in a very friendly environment with your family or your friends, and that makes you more likely to come out and, and experience green grass golf, which is where we benefit. Well, Dan, the way I drive, I've sliced too many tires. But that's another story in a new show altogether. Uh, Dan Murphy, President and CEO of Bridgestone Golf, thank you so much, sir, for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We really do appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a great honor to be on Bloomberg. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. Our special thanks to Bloomberg News' Kim Bassine, Bloomberg Originals' Jason Kelly, and Bridgestone Golf President and CEO Dan Murphy for joining us on the program this week. And thank you for tuning in. Remember to check our The Deal with Jason Kelly and Alex Rodriguez. It's out now streaming on Bloomberg Originals, and you can also listen to the podcast by going to Bloomberg.com or on any of your favorite streaming platforms. For Scarlett Foo and Damian Sassauer, I'm Michael Barr. Thanks again for joining us. Tune in again next week for the latest on the stories moving big old money in the world of sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports, Bloomberg Radio, around the world. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.